So if you're new around here or don't remember what we did last week, we are going through the book of Revelation this uh, fall, and we're specifically kind of centering in on on pictures of Christ, the different visions that, that John had of Jesus on this island of Patmos, and he wrote down in the book of Revelation, and he, he wrote them to a, a weary church, a scared church, a church that had lost all of its original leaders, and, and he was trying to say, look, I know that the apostles are gone, but Jesus is with you. He is in your midst. You're going to be fine. And, and we said that was really a message that we need to hear today. We need to hear it in, in 2021. Jesus is with you. He is in your midst. You're going to not only be fine, you're going to thrive. The church isn't going anywhere. And, and I really had planned on just focusing on those seven visions. And, and we got last week to Revelation chapter 12, which is kind of the, the video montage of, of the Old Testament. And the vision of Jesus there is of a, is of a baby. And as I reflected on that, I remember the words of, uh, of Mark Davis, actually. Mark Davis is the pastor of uh, Park City's Presbyterian Church in Dallas, which is one of the largest churches in our denomination. And almost definitely, I haven't seen the numbers, but almost definitely the wealthiest church in our denomination. And uh, he, they do great work with that, and those resources and planted, help plant this church, for instance, and about 20 RUFs, and he's, he's become a friend. And I was talking to him uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. <coughs> it was right before the pandemic. That's kind of the new measuring stick, isn't it? There's was, was before times and the after times. Uh, it was in the before times, and we were talking about mental health. I ju- and, uh, and he said this. I, it was really striking coming from him. He said, you know, our church combined probably spends a million dollars a year on mental health. Psychologists, medicines, retreats, uh, you know, rehabs, the whole nine yards. And nobody's getting better. And he said, I, I've, I've only now come to acknowledge the spiritual element in it. I believe that Satan is involved and he's, he's whispering lies in our people's ears. And he is the reason why there's so much fear and so much darkness and so much sorrow and so much addiction. And, and we've, we've begun praying for people. Not that we've stopped doing the, the interventions, but that we've begun praying for people. And, and I want you to know that that's, that's something that our church takes very seriously. Just this week, all of our elders took a day to fast, and then everyone who could went over to a church member's house to pray for them and to pray that all darkness would be bound away from that house. And we've continued to pray for that because there is a very real spiritual war going on around us. And it and it's sometimes is inside of us. And the book of Revelation does give us important insight to that. And so I think I'd be a, a foolish and uncaring pastor if I didn't stop here and spend a little time talking about that. And so we're going to spend uh, the next, today and next week talking about how Satan attacks us. Uh, and, and before we go too far, I want you to know this. I want you to hear this very clearly. I know some of you are going to tune out at any second. And so I I want you to hear this right up front. Satan cannot hurt you. 
He's been defeated. He cannot hurt you. I have a friend who is essentially a spiritual war expert, um, not because he chose to study it, but because he's spent his entire life in prison and has been doing hand-to-hand combat pretty much every day of his life. And, um, and he said this. I asked him, just what your, give me everything you got on this. And he, he wrote back this. He said, Satan can't touch you if you belong to Jesus, but he can make you feel. He can make you feel afraid. He can make you feel depressed. He can make you feel despair. He can make you feel angry. All he can do is make you feel. But that's a pretty powerful weapon. And as we look at this, I want you to see, what I want you to see today is that Satan is very real. And he's doing everything he can to ruin us as both individuals and as a church and as a nation. And we fight him by vigorously, stubbornly, and fiercely holding on to the truth. We fight him by preaching the truth to ourselves, to each other, and to the world. We must never forget the truth of who we are in Jesus. And we have to hammer that truth into our hard, wooden heads every day. Please stand as we read from Revelation chapter 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, But that woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured out like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the stand of the sea. So that's, that's the beginning of this second part of this vision. Satan, angry, he could not defeat the church. The church is the woman. And so he's gone off to make war on the woman's offspring. That's us. 
all those who keep the commandments of God. And he stands on the bank of the sea and he calls two great monsters out of the sea. One is, is power. He has all the power in the world. And the other one is the false prophet who calls on everyone to worship the power. He would clearly in his mind have had such things in mind as the emperor worship that Nero demanded of all his followers. Uh, but it's been repeated throughout history and we'll talk about that in a minute. But And then, uh, so it's almost like this war is being set up, right? Here are the two monsters, and in the other corner we have, and he says in verse chapter 14, I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living four creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. As far as the reading of God's word, all men are like grass and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The devil's real. We have a very real enemy who fights with us vigorously by by breathing lies and accusations into our consciences. And to fight him, we have to stubbornly and fiercely hold on to the truth. We have to preach the truth to ourselves, and we have to preach it to each other so that we never forget who we are in Jesus. Uh, The first thing I want to just talk about is that Satan's real. We don't talk about him much in our tradition. Uh, We don't like anything out there that we can't control. And you can control books. And so we like books. And we like theology. And we like Calvinistic theology because it's very logical. And we like the systems. And it's all very neat and orderly. And spiritual war is not very neat and orderly. But it's real. And it's all around us, and we know it. We see evil, and we, we recognize evil in our culture. Sometimes, sometimes we don't recognize it. Sometimes it's just so obvious that it's, that it's clear uh, that, that Satan is there. He is inspiring evil all around us. And that is uh, what we see, first of all, in this chapter in Revelation, chapter 12. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. And I want to talk just a little bit about who he is, okay? because it's, it's fuzzy and because we don't talk about it a lot. And the Bible doesn't ever, you know, it doesn't have indexes. It doesn't say, you know, a glossary of terms in the back. And you just look up Satan and you see real clearly where who he is. You kind of have to look at the pictures throughout. And, and what we see is that Satan is created by God. He's not... Uh, he's not equal with God. He's not the yin to God's yang. He is, uh, he's not in this eternal equal warfare going at each other. Uh, he is a creation of God. God created him, and it appears uh, that God created him for a specific purpose. And that purpose, we think, was to test humans, to develop our character, but to make us strong. Uh, you see that uh, he was a, a member of God's council. He got to go into, he got to talk to God. He was way up there. He was uh, an incredibly powerful creation. He was a member of the, the, the inner trust, the inner circle. 
And uh, you remember, he talked to God about Job, right? Oh, gosh, Job, he's so, he's so righteous, God says. And Satan goes, ah, it's because he's got an easy life. He got to be in the inner circle. And evidently, he had a purpose. But instead of using that purpose, he decided to start a rebellion. And he, instead of testing Adam and Eve, he tempted them to sin, and they did sin. And when they sinned, they joined the rebellion, and all of their descendants joined the rebellion. And we are under him. He influences the entire world. He is called in the Bible the prince of this world. He is over it. He owns it. It is his. He um, is the leader of this rebellion. He's the leader of all of us that he has uh, influenced. And by his influence, he claims us. The, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says, Before your salvation, before you were born again, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Just doing what came natural to you was being part of his rebellion. His rebellion that makes you want to declare independence at all times. The rebellion that says, I just want to do what I want to do. Maybe what I want to do is make money. Maybe what I want to do is raise a family. Maybe what I want to do is, you know, fly to Mars. But I want to do what I want to do with no recourse to anybody else. And that's all part of his rebellion until God makes you alive together with Christ. And that's where he is. He's always working, controlling how we think and how we walk. And he had utter control of the world until Jesus and Michael defeated him. Now this text, I love, I love what this text does because it gives us a glimpse, right? It says, Michael and his angels defeated Satan and his demons. Don't you want to know more? Don't you kind of want to know like when that was? We don't, that's it. That's all you're getting, okay? We don't know when it was, but we, we know what happened because it says right here, he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So he's not in the council room of God anymore. He's not accusing you before God anymore. He's been thrown to earth. He can't go back. Michael defeated him in heaven. Jesus defeated him on earth. Jesus, by being born of a virgin, came in as one who's not a member of the, rebe the rebellion. He did not inherit that rebellious nature from Eve. He came in pure. And he immediately began fighting with Satan. Satan tried to keep him from being born. Satan had all the uh, babies in, in his entire hometown killed. He tried everything he could to, to pour out his evil and, and kill this baby. Uh, but he couldn't. And then Jesus, at the very start of his ministry, he was kind of... He was kind of keeping, well, he wasn't kind of. He was keeping a low profile. And then when he started his ministry, when John the Baptist baptized him, we're told the Holy Spirit cast him out into the wilderness to fight with Satan for 40 days. And it was a, it was a, a redoing of the Garden of Eden. God, uh, the, the Adam and Eve sinned in their garden under Satan's temptation. But now Jesus has to go into the wilderness. Adam and Eve had everything they could possibly want to eat, but he, and Jesus had nothing. He was starving. He was hungry. But he withstood Satan's attacks there. And Satan withdrew from him. And then Jesus began casting out demons wherever he went. And he was defeating Satan, and he was, began to claim uh, property, began to claim kingdom back. 
And during this time, he sent out all of his disciples. And this is what's so weird to me. I'm going to be honest. I don't understand it. He sent out all of his disciples to go out and cast out demons and to heal. And when they came back, they said, Can you believe this? The demons are afraid of us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall to the ground like lightning. Why then? I don't know. But it sounds like that's when Michael defeated Satan and threw him out of heaven. That's what it sounds like. I don't know. But I know this. Jesus, I mean, Satan was infuriated with Jesus, and he came back for one more attack, and he had him betrayed and arrested and put on the cross, and he killed him. And he put him in the grave. And in doing that, he overextended his credit. Satan didn't have a right to kill Jesus because Jesus had not sinned. And the grave could not hold Jesus because Jesus had life in and of himself. He said, my, it's, my life is my own to lay down when I choose and to take it back when I choose. And when Jesus uh, died that death, he died, he was able to extend the benefits of that death to his people. And when he exploded the grave from the inside and came back to life, he did that so that all who follow him may also come out of the grave and live beyond death as well. And Colossians 2 says this so beautifully. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus disarmed all rulers and authorities, Satan and all of his servants. He disarmed them. They can't hurt you anymore. And he put them to open shame. He's mocked them. They have no teeth. He is defeated. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, if he's defeated, no worries, right? He probably met Jesus at midfield and shook hands and said, good game, and, uh, you know, slunk back off into his dugout. But that is not what evil does. Evil refuses to believe that it's been defeated and fights even more ferociously. If you're old enough to remember uh, Desert Storm back uh, in 1990 when we uh, invaded Iraq and liberated Kuwait. Uh, It was actually 91. Um, When when Saddam Hussein saw that he couldn't win, he was going to have to withdraw from uh, Kuwait, he just kind of, you know, built all those cities back up and set up everything that he had knocked down. Remember how kind he was? No, of course not. What did he do? He set fire to every oil well in the nation because he's mad. That's what Satan does. He just wants to do... He has no plan. He knows there's no way he's going to win, but he's just mad. And he wants to, to hurt you. And he wants to hurt me. And he wants to do whatever he can. And so we have to fight against him. We have to fight against him. This is the most... Uh, one of the most threatening verses in all the Bible, he stood on the sand of the sea. 
He's gone off to make war against us. And he stands on the sand of the sea. Now, how does he do that? Satan has three tools, three weapons that he is continually using against us. The first weapon is accusation. Accusation. Uh, he is the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of all, uh, throughout the world. And he is the one who accuses us day and night before God. That's what he was doing, right? And we have this picture in, in Zechariah chapter 3. Where's it, Zephaniah? Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3, where Satan is, is standing before God, and Joshua, the high priest, is, is standing before God. And Joshua is, is uh, just standing there with a quieted mouth and, and shame, and Satan is casting accusations on him, and his garments are filthy. He's in shame. And then Jesus, we think, the, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and puts a white cloak upon him. And that's a picture of what's going on. God, Satan has been accusing us before God, but, God, but Jesus' righteousness is put upon us. And he can't accuse us anymore. He can't accuse us to God anymore. If he were to try, God would say, rebuke you, Satan, hush. These are my children. Their debts have been paid. You've got nothing on them. Since he can't accuse them to God, you know who he accuses us to? Ourselves. He comes in and whispers in our ear and says, You're dirty. You don't belong here. Why are you even going to church? How dare you go to church? How dare you? He's always constantly accusing you day and night. He's accusing you. You're, you're going to pick up your Bible? You know you're not going to read it two days in a row. I haven't had a quiet time two days in a row since the 80s. You're not going to start again, are you? Why are you even going to start something you're just going to fail? You're not going to be so dumb as to say, to confess your sin to somebody. You're not going to be so dumb as to say that you're not going to look at pornography again. Sure you are. You know you are. Why are you even bothering to say that? continually accusing us accusing us and we have to say the same thing that God says rebuke you Satan I am in Christ yeah everything I touch I make dirty but everything I touch he makes clean and yes every sim single thing I do in life has sinful motivations yeah but Jesus cleans that and in him I am perfect and my faith isn't in myself, it's in him. He, he uses accusation, he uses deception. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees began to accuse him, and, and he said, you're of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan works primarily through lies. Primarily through lies. Whenever you see a group of people believing lies, they are gone off after him. He has control of them. 
He, he works in us through lies. He's always constantly whispering in the, our ears, telling us lies about our friends, telling us lies about how our friends are talking about us and how they don't really like us. I saw a thing on Facebook or Twitter or something, I don't know, last night. And uh, this guy said, what are y'all doing accomplishing things on a weekend? Don't you know weekends are when you sit alone at home and convince yourself that nobody likes you? And I thought, somebody else does that? <laughs> Constantly lying to us. They're, they're incredibly destructive when these lies are believed on a nationwide level, when they're linked together with power, like he talked about, his two monsters, power and, and deception, the false prophets. So when you see uh, the, the power of a nation connected with emperor worship or communism or fascism or, or nationalism. You see just incredibly negative, destructive things going on throughout the world. Imperialism. And he lies to us in our own ears, doesn't he? He says, you're worthless. Nobody wants you. Nobody loves you. Everybody would be happier if you were gone. You're never going to get better. You're ugly. You know, the only way that you're ever going to feel better is if you pick up the alcohol or pick up the credit card or take your laptop and go into a back room. Only that will make you feel better. He's constantly lying to you. There's a, uh, a monk in the 5th century who uh, named Avarius. And he went off to the desert to learn how to fight against the devil. And word about him got out. I don't know how word gets out about a monk in the desert. But whatever. Word got out that he was actually winning. And he kind of became a, uh, a, you know, a a guide and teacher, a mentor for those who want to fight against Satan. And and people would come to him. And he wrote a book about, uh, about how to fight Satan. And he basically, he said this, he didn't basically said this, he said this exactly. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity to lies and liberate them with a weapon of truth. He's constantly lying to you. He's making you believe things. And his final weapon is, is fear. Fear. He can make you feel afraid. He's got the, this image of power, and he has this ability to come around you and make you afraid. He uses nightmares. He uses fear of failure. He uses fear of loneliness. He uses suspicion. Suspicion, suspicion of each other, is the ultimate weapon, right? Because it combines fear and lies and accusation. All three against them. And we all know who them are, not us. That's clear. And if he can get us to be suspicious of them, he is one. Again, he's not trying to accomplish anything. He's not trying to accomplish anything positive. He's like, um, you know, the, the, the word that came out about Facebook and all the lies that were on Facebook. And everybody thought everybody else was sending them. And we found out this year that all those lies were coming from China and Russia. And uh, lies about, you know, the vaccines and the 
illness and masks and votes and voter fraud all came from Russia and China. They weren't trying to accomplish anything. They just wanted to see us mad at each other. That's, that's how Satan works. He just wants to see us mad at each other. There's an uh, old Twilight Zone episode called uh, The Monsters on Maple Street. Have you seen that? Remember that? It's hilarious. These aliens are basically asking the question, how can we mess with humans? Well, and there's one alien who's been studying humans, and the other alien shows up. He's like, well, show me what you've learned. He said, okay. And he knocked out all the lights on Maple Street, just knocked them out. And all the neighbors come out and start talking. What happened? What? Our cars won't start? Our lights won't come on? And they begin wondering, and, and one of the kids says, well, I've heard aliens can do this. And they begin to fear aliens. And there's one house on Maple Street where the car still starts and the lights are still on, and they all begin to look at that guy. Are you an alien? And by the end of the episode, they've pulled out a gun and they've killed one of their own neighbors. And then and it goes back up into the spaceship, and the, uh, the older alien says, It's that easy? It's that easy. And he turned the lights back on and left. Suspicion. That's, that's a huge problem in the United States right now. Everybody is incredibly suspicious of everybody else. So how do we fight against him? How do we fight against lies? How do we fight against the, the suspicion and the accusations? By fiercely, by fiercely remembering the truth and pounding it into our heads daily. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples and will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We have to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapons of truth. We have to receive the forgiveness of the gospel. And every time Satan comes to us and says, nobody likes you, you say, go way. You're lying to me. I am the son of God. He gave his own son for me. I'm not going to believe that anymore. Every time he comes to you and says, there's no hope for you, you say, you're a liar. You talk back to him. Avarius' book was called Talking Back. This is what I love about that song we sang, Call Him Good My Soul. We're telling our souls, talk back. Call him good. There's a great classic book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones when he talks about depression and, and the darkness people feel. And he says this, he says, I wonder if you're depressed because you're always listening to your conscience and never talking back. You need to talk back to it. You need to say, that's a lie. There is hope. There's eternal hope. There is a resurrection. This event, this sin that's done to me does not define me. I have hope and joy that will never be extinguished. The Son of God came back from the dead. I can come back from this addiction because he's in me, because I am Christ in me. Fiercely hold that truth. Pound it into your heads daily. That's who you are. That's who you are. It's not even our job to fight. It's just our job to remember. I get tired of fighting, don't you? Several years ago, I uh, I 
I was just kind of at, the, at, at my wit's end as far as trying to, to build this church up and get it to a place where I thought it was going to be viable. And I just couldn't do it. I preached as hard as I could. <laughs> it's like, I'm preaching as hard as I can. I don't really know what else to do. And uh, one Monday morning, Monday mornings are always the worst. If you want to pray for your pastor, pray on Monday morning. Uh, on Monday morning, I was on the elliptical machine, and I had something. If, if I were charismatic and this were a Pentecostal church, I would say I had a vision. But this is a Presbyterian church, so I don't get visions. I have daydreams, Right? And because I'm Presbyterian, I know that God's providence is his holy, wise, and perfect, upholding and governing all of his creatures in all of their actions. And therefore, this was a holy, wise, and good, providentially given daydream. Whatever, that checks your catechismic box. Um, but, so God providentially gave me this daydream, and I'm, in this daydream, I am... I've just lost a football game. It's the worst feeling a human will ever experience is losing a football game. And I'm walking off the field, and Jesus is my coach. And I look at him with tears in my eyes, and I throw my arms around his neck, and he starts hugging me. And I say, I tried the best I could. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then the next week I preached on this text from, from Revelation 14 about the the, the lamb and his fair army of the 144,000, and they're about to do battle against the dragon and his two beasts. And do you notice something weird about that? They don't go to battle. It's, and John just kind of shrugs it off. He's like, well, here's the army, 144,000, and they're playing harps and blowing trumpets. And that next Monday, I was actually down in Dallas for a meeting, and I had the same daydream. And in the daydream, once again, I fall on Jesus' shoulders, and I'm, I'm crying, and I said, I, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. It just wasn't enough. And Jesus took my little chin in his hands, and he said, Ricky, you're in the band. You don't get to play on the field. Ricky, I already won the game. I won the game. Your job is to play the fight song and let everybody know that I won. Your job is to sing. That's it. That's all the fair army does. They sing because the battle has already been won. I'm sorry, let's do that again. That's all the army does. They sing because the battle has already been won. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us to sing, to sing like people who have won, to sing like people who have hope and joy, to sing like people who have been made clean and no one can ever accuse us again. Would you teach us to sing? Would you give us the grace to sing so loud that Satan would have to stop up his ears and run away? Would you give us the grace to do that now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.